Well, good morning. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 24, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Last week, Pastor Phil preached on Luke 24, when Jesus walked the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. I'm going to be preaching the rest of the chapter. I'm going to be preaching verses 36 through 53. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read verses 36 through 53. I'll pray, and then we will begin. So here's Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your Son. We ask that you speak, O Lord, good news through your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me to be faithful to your word and help us to increase our joy in Jesus as we have meals with unbelievers and see people come to faith in Jesus Christ and made disciples. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I graduated from Olivet Nazarene University in 2011, I was really looking forward to moving from Northern Illinois and down to Louisville, Kentucky, where I would begin my seminary training. And you'll notice I said that right. I didn't say Louisville. I didn't say Louisville. It's Louisville. Just as few syllables as possible. I I say it right because I really love Louisville. I, I love the South. I love Kentucky. Sometimes I jokingly say that Kentucky is the promised land and Louisville is New Jerusalem. I just really love the South. In fact, when we moved down there, I did everything I could to become a Kentuckian. You know, to the Kentuckian, I want to become a Kentuckian. So I traded in my sedan and bought a rusty pickup truck. I 
forsook my northern Illinois accent and tried to develop a, a southern Kentucky accent. I even changed the way I dress. I got a t-shirt that had the outline of the state of Kentucky on it. I, I loved Kentucky, and my wife couldn't stop rolling her eyes during the entire process. She saw right through it. But there was one time when we were at a Cracker Barrel in the middle of rural Kentucky, I decided to finally take my accent out on a walk, to just to try it out, see how it would work on the waitress. And so when she came to take my order, I forget exactly what I ordered, but I said something along the lines of, well, I figure I'll have some biscuits and gravy or you know, something like that. And she's like, wow, where are you from? You sound like you're exactly from my hometown in eastern Kentucky. And that's how I knew I had arrived. I, I had finally achieved what I had set out for, and Jenna just could not have been less impressed with my, with my accents. Friends, that's how Jesus introduces his good news to the people he came to rescue. He became like them in every respect. He took on human flesh. He condescended to live the life that you and I live. He was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. Jesus lived among those that he came to reach. The way that he brought salvation to the earth wasn't just by speaking the word of God from afar, but by being the word of God made flesh. The way that he provided living water and living bread was not communicated through snail mail with postage, but instead by eating bread and drinking water in person with his enemies. The way that he preached the good news it looked like a bunch of different ways in the Old Testament, but finally, in the fullness of time, God spoke the good news in his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus preached, not with a Kentucky accent, but with a Galilean accent. God spoke with a Galilean accent. He, he, he ministered with hands that were tanned by the sun. He, he preached to people that he was living among. He lived life with his disciples. He, he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Far from keeping from uh, at, at a safe, sanitized, arm's length distance, he got close to the people that he came to reach. He got his hands dirty. And this was always God's plan. It's not as though God tried plan A all throughout the Old Testament that Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations, but then when they failed to do so, God's like, okay, I guess I'll move on to, to plan B. No, instead, everything in the Old Testament was pointing forward to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This was always plan A. It was a progressive plan that unfolded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what you've been seeing over this series of Meals with Jesus, haven't you? Pastor Phil's been walking you through the Gospels especially to show how Jesus, in the fullness of time, and definitely according to God's plan, he came to have a series of meals with people. You've been seeing three big things in your series that Pastor Phil has been showing you. Number one, that the meals that Jesus shared with people, they were symbolic, now, what, what were they symbolizing? Well, they were symbolizing, in part, a wedding. There's just a lot of wedding language, wedding feast in these meal accounts in the Gospels. And they point forward to a truer and greater wedding, which is something that we're going to get to later on today. That's the first thing that you've been seeing. The second thing is who Jesus has been sharing these meals with. 
Now think of like who you would invite to a wedding feast. Even I think this morning right now, Pastor Phil and a number of people from Embassy are at a wedding and they're going to be participating in a wedding feast. So who, who, who does Jesus invite to this wedding feast, to his wedding feast? Well, is it a dapper looking Eddie Williams? Is it polite Ukrainians? Well, no. Jesus invites scoundrels and sinners and the marginalized. Jesus has these meals with unclean bad people. He doesn't come to rub shoulders with the righteous, but with sinners. That's the second thing you've seen, who Jesus has shared these meals with. And the third thing is these wedding meals were, were with wrong people because Jesus transforms them and they don't stay unclean and sinners, but he changes them. They've been healed. They've been cured. They've been saved through the powerful working of Jesus Christ's gospel. That's what you've seen in the past series, and you're, we're going to see that today in Luke chapter 24 in verses 36 through 53. So here's point number one, if you're taking notes, is look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. We're going to get into it. So last week, you saw that Jesus was walking along the road to Emmaus with the disciples. They didn't know who he was at first, and he's unpacking everything from the Old Testament. Their hearts are burning within them. And then in the breaking of bread, Luke says, they recognize Jesus, and all of a sudden he disappears, and they run back. These two disciples run back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, we've seen the risen Christ our Messiah, our Savior. We thought he was dead. We thought he was crucified, and that was the end of the story, but it's not. He's alive. And the disciples say, other people have seen him too. And that's where we enter into the story in verse 36. Read with me. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Think about how surprising that would have been. You see how Luke is setting up this scene that they're all kind of like in a huddle, locked away in a room, and they're whispering like, did you see Jesus? I saw Jesus. And they're, they're all like shoulder to shoulder. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is right there saying, hey, what are we talking about? It's like, oh, we were talking about you. And the first word that Jesus speaks to these people that had deserted him only days before is peace to you. And then he said to them in verse 38, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. He's showing them the, the holes in his hand and in his feet. This is him whom they have pierced. And Jesus is saying, it's me. Just look. He goes on to say, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelief for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Then they gave him a piece of broiled fish and took it and ate it before them. That's point number one. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 43 for this first point. Have you ever seen a video, maybe on the news or on YouTube, of soldiers who come home unexpectedly early from war and they surprise either their moms or their wives or their girlfriends? Um, the family is just kind of going about their daily business and all of a sudden here comes their sol this soldier walking through the door that had gone off to the combat zone and surprise, here they are. And the family member is just totally astonished. It was totally unexpected. That's the type of astonishment. Like, I'm, I'm still, Luke says, disbelieving for joy. Like, I'm excited, but I, I almost can't believe my eyes. 
That's where the disciples are right now. They're, they're disbelieving for joy. And Jesus wants to reinforce, this is no figment of your imagination. I'm not, I'm not an illusion. I'm not an apparition. I'm here in the flesh. Friends, truly, the word of God, Jesus, came in the flesh. He was crucified. He was dead. But he was resurrected. Not just an illusion of resurrection. This really happened. Jesus said, touch me. See for yourself. You can put your, your, the, your finger in the holes of my hand, my feet. It's really me. This is no figment of anyone's imagination. And friends, the historicity of the resurrection of Christ is one of the bedrocks of Christianity. What we have in Scripture is no mere fable. It's not a fiction. It's fact. This was testified to by these disciples and hundreds of others. This was a public historical event verified by other people. It's why Luke is including names of different persons who witnessed this firsthand, both in his gospel, the book of Luke, and also in his early church history book, the book of Acts. He's including historical data. You can go and check for yourself, this actually happened. This isn't something that we just made up. And it wouldn't make sense that this would be just something they made up because it cost the disciples eventually so much. You read about in their preaching and you read about their lives following Jesus' ascension into heaven. Many of these disciples went to their deaths holding on to their belief that Jesus was resurrected from the grave and he's coming again. And it was an integral part of the preaching in the early church that Jesus was actually raised in the flesh and he demonstrated by saying, here, look, touch me and look, I'm eating. Spirits don't need to eat broiled fish like Luke says in verse 42, but Jesus ate because he had come in the flesh. Listen to this sermon um, from Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 36. You can turn there, but you don't have to. I'll read it out loud. And listen to how Peter describes how important it was that Jesus came in the flesh and he ate among them. You see how important meals with Jesus is in the early church. Peter says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the, Jeru of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, listen, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge, uh, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter's saying, this is first-hand account. I touched him with my own hands. I saw him. We ate with him. It, this was a reality. I, I remember it blazingly clear in my mind. And this wasn't just Peter's testimony. This was the rest of the testimony of the apostles. Listen to how John opens up his letter in 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, 
which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Oh, beloved, Peter and John and the rest of the disciples, they didn't play the telephone game of, hey, here's the good news of Jesus, and it just kind of got lost along the period of transition. They're speaking from a firsthand account. Uh, We saw Jesus with our own eyes. We heard him with our own ears. We touched him with our own hands. He ate meals with us. This wasn't conjecture. This was reliable revelation. It happened. They saw it. They heard it. They touched it. No fabrication, no ethereal, notional figment of anyone's imagination. Beloved, Jesus came in the flesh. Why did Jesus come in the flesh? To have meals with sinners like you and me. It's because God has created us for his glory. That's why he created Adam and Eve. That's why he's created every one of us. And for the sake of our joy, he said, enjoy and worship me alone. Worship creator. But friends, You and I, in so many different ways and at so many different times, we've chosen to worship and enjoy creation instead of creator. We've abused creation and we've glorified it instead of glorifying God. We love living for family and job and comfort and ourselves rather than living for God. And because we've sinned against God, we deserve God's righteous judgment. Because we've fallen so far short of God's holy standard, The punishment for that sin is death. We are under the righteous wrath of God. And if God gave us what we deserve, we would die under that death sentence. But in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. Jesus took on our flesh, and for the first time ever, there was a man who never sinned. There was a man who perfectly glorified his Father in heaven. There was a man who fulfilled God's law, lived the life that we should live, but we don't, and he died the death that we deserve to die. God the Father poured his wrath out on his Son on the cross in the place of sinners like you and me. And on the third day, he raised him victorious over Satan, over sin, over death. And he says, all power has been given to me. Repent and believe. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from living for yourself and trust in me. How many of us are trying to trust in a false gospel that in some way we can save ourselves as though our flesh were strong enough, as though we don't need Jesus' resurrected body, blood, and new life that he gives us? Friends, the message of the gospel is not try to be better, do better. It's not try to be a better person, try to obey more, try to clean yourself up, get more people to think better about you. Instead, the message is find your identity in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus was humbled so that we could be exalted with him. This really happened. Friend, I just want to, before we move on. I want to pause and ask, have have you trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior? I, I, I pray that you would in response to this good news. I pray that you would obey what Jesus commands the disciples to do. He says, look at me, touch me, I'm I'm real. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Friend, would you taste and see that the Lord is good? Look to Jesus in the gospel and believe. It'd be for your good and God's glory. These disciples 
they live life with Jesus. This is the nature of evangelism and missions. Believer, are you living the life that Jesus lived? Are you close to those that you're trying to reach? Think about how much Peter and John, the other apostles, experienced the, the risen Christ, both before his crucifixion and after his resurrection, before he was ascended. They saw firsthand Jesus eat fish with the other disciples. The, they saw firsthand the compassion in Jesus' eyes when he saw the hungry crowds. They saw firsthand the rise and fall of Jesus' chest when he slept, his posture when he walked. They heard his voice when he sang psalms in the synagogues on the Sabbath. They saw the dirt in his hair after sleeping on the ground. They touched his warm hands that had holes in them. Do your disciples know you that well? Do the unbelievers that you're trying to share the gospel with, do they know you that well? Are you that close to them? Continue reading with me, starting in verse 44, and we'll see what all this was about. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You were witnesses of these things. Let's pause right there. That's my point number two, is witness these things. Point number two, witness these things. Did you notice which parts of the Old Testament Jesus says point to him and written about him. He says, in, uh, he says the law of Moses in verse 44, he says the prophets, and he says the Psalms. That's just Jesus' way of saying, it's all about me. Not just selective verses, it's all about me. From, from Genesis to Malachi, it's, it's all escalating and pointing to the greater fulfillment of all of it. It's all about me. This is all good news about what I'm going to do to ransom a people for the glory of God. From every genre, every book, every prophet, they're all pointing forward to the Holy One of Israel. Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb, under whose blood we are saved from the wrath of God. He's the true and better Jonah, who, having been doomed to die in order to spare others, after three days, sound familiar? Three days was brought back from the death to preach to Gentiles. Jesus is the one of whom David wrote about in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I've made your enemies your footstool, surely predicting the victory of Jesus Christ in his resurrection and ascension. He's also the one in Psalm 130 that Kenny is preaching to my congregation right now about when it says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Psalmist is writing about Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Israel. Friends, Israel was supposed to be this light to the nations. They were supposed to put God's glory on display as they lived a life set apart, but they failed in many ways. This was always the scope of God's redemption because it was the scope of his creation. God created all nations, not just one ethnicity, but all ethnicities. And when he gave Abram the covenant, Abram was before that, Nothing more than another Gentile. God called him out and then gave him a covenant that all the nations are going to be blessed through his offspring. 
And so it is with all the other covenants and relationships that God had with his people in the Old Testament. This was supposed to be a light for the nations. And very much in the Old Testament, the mission of God's people was to say to the nations, come and see. Come and see where God inhabits with his people, Jerusalem, in the temple. Come and see how God has given us favor and has redeemed us and rescued us from slavery to Egypt. Not because we're good, Not because we're more in number than all the other nations, but because God is gracious. He saves us and rescues us and and gives us his holy law. But Israel became insular and ethnocentric. They closed themselves off from the nations, and they gave themselves even over to idolatry. So Jesus comes in the fullness of time as the true and better Israel, as the true and better temple of God, and he, come, he doesn't wait for the nations to come to him. He comes to the nations. Do you see this transition that is fulfilled in Jesus between Old Testament and New Testament? Old Testament mission for God's people was come and see. And now Jesus, continue reading with me in verse 49, says, go and tell. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Do you remember how we saw that connected in Acts chapter 1, which is read this morning? Jesus says, I'm, I'm sending you to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, which is exactly what he says in Luke 24, in verse 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to who? All nations. This was always the scope of God's plan. Jesus died and shed his blood for a people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. It's no longer about come and see, although we do want that. We want people to come to church. But Jesus is sending his church and saying, go and tell Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. He went out to them. And that's how his disciples are supposed to be. We don't wait for them to come to us. We, we go and tell them. We live life with them, even at great cost to ourselves. This is why we read Isaiah 42 this morning. In verse 6, it says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. And then Acts chapter 1a, I just referenced. It's, it's this uh, uh, concentric circles of influence. We start with Jerusalem, spread out to Judea, then Samaria, and then all the world. And friends, that's what's been happening for the past 2,000 years, is God's people have obeyed God by going out and telling the nations. This is why we're committed to global missions. This is why we're committed to doing the same thing that they did in the book of Acts, which is committing to gospel-centered church planting. We want to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. You see, it's, it's about multiplying healthy, gospel-centered, Christ-exalting churches. That's what, we're, that's what Embassy Church is about. That's what Redeeming Grace Chapel is about. We're, we're about seeing God's kingdom spread, not by principally growing one church bigger and bigger and bigger and multi-service and multi-site, but we want to see many gospel-centered churches planted and multiplied. That's what you see in the book of Acts, is the disciples scatter. <laughs> they, they scatter uh, as far as they can go, and they plant churches that those churches themselves scatter. And here we are in North America today. Look no further for proof of the spreading kingdom of God. We're in a foreign land. And how do they plant these churches? How do they spread this good news? 
Well, through meals. You all recently went through a series in the book of Acts. Do you remember time and time again, they're making disciples and sharing the gospel through the breaking of bread. You remember that phrase? They're, they're breaking bread with one another. In, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts 20 and all throughout the book, they're, they're having meals in unbelievers' homes and they're having unbelievers in their homes and even the churches are meeting in their homes. This is all through sharing meals because Jesus came and shared the meal with them. They went and shared meals with others and shared the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. This is why Pastor Phil's been encouraging you to go and share meals with unbelievers and share meals with one another and share good news as you're eating. It's all part of the spread of the kingdom. Because this command is for us to obey today as well. Starting with Mount Prospect, Cook County, Illinois, all the ends of the earth. Either we send or we go, but otherwise we need to be committed to seeing God giving the glory he deserves as sinners repent of their sin and trust in him. And it will come a great cost and sacrifice, but it's good news. And it's in light of verses 50 through 53 that we do this. Read with me. He led them out as far as Bethany. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Beloved, Jesus was raised, but he's coming again. That's the great promise. That's what you and I, that's what we are all waiting on is Jesus didn't go and he's not going to stay gone. He's coming again. And in between now and then, in between his ascension and his second coming, when he comes in power, we're about the business of bringing the gospel to the nations. When Jesus came the first time, he came as the suffering servant. When he comes the second time, he's going to come as the conquering king. And in the interim, he's given us a meal to celebrate as regularly as we gather, namely the Lord's Supper. Don't get past the significance of what you do every week in the Lord's Supper. This is enormously significant about how we are the body of Christ. And we share in the bread, which symbolizes the broken body of Christ. We drink the juice, which symbolizes the shed blood of Christ for our souls. We're, we're feasting on our Savior. He's, he's the source of our salvation and our spiritual nutrition. And this is a unifying act for the body. And we eat and drink it and we're proclaiming his death until he comes again, is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. Us taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday or as often as we do it, it's all about looking backwards to what Jesus did on the cross. And it's also looking forward to a greater feast that is yet to come. What feast? Well, Revelation 19 describes it. Friends, there's a feast coming. There's a wedding feast coming, greater than any wedding feast that you've ever been to. Jenna and I, we had been married for a year. We went to my best man's uh, wedding, um, and uh, he was marrying a girl who had a lot of money, 
um, her, her father had a lot of money, and so the wedding and the reception were all, or the, the reception was on their private farm, and there were, they came in on a horse-drawn carriage. There was caviar being served, and just, they spared no expense, and Jen and I just looked at each other, and we're like, all right, well, we've peaked early. This is the nicest wedding that we will ever go to for the rest of our lives. Like, they, they were, the wedded couple came to the reception on the horse and buggy announced by trumpets. Like, it's not going to get much nicer than that, except for the wedding feast that's to come for all of us. The wedding feast I'm referring to is when the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, comes back for his bride, the church. The one that he purchased with his blood. He secured her and he's washing her with the water of his word. And the church will be presented to Jesus on that day spotless and without blemish. That's going to be a joyful celebration. And the food that we eat now especially in communion, during our love feasts in the local church, just like they did in Acts, points forward to that feast that is yet to come. And if you're feasting on Christ now in the Lord's Supper, you will feast with him then. And all the meals that you've been reading about and hearing about in this series of Meals with Jesus points forward to that great meal. These are but a shadow, but that meal will be the substance That's the full reality. We should look forward to that joyful celebration, this reveling in the victory of the Lamb. But there are people who are not feasting on Christ now by faith. There are untold billions of people who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. There are nations that have not been reached with the gospel of Jesus. They will be but they haven't been yet. That's why we pray for lost people groups. That's why we send missionaries like the Beans to go and preach Jesus where he has not yet been named. That's why we send people into the harvest and we pray, oh Lord of the harvest, send laborers to go make disciples, plant healthy churches, have them share meals with these lost people groups and see them come to faith in Jesus and then we'll mobilize and send them out as well first in their own countries, and then to to all nations. The thought that there are people who are dying without hope in the gospel moved Paul, the apostle, to unceasing anguish, especially that his kinsmen, according to the flesh, were going to die apart from faith in Jesus Christ. They weren't feasting on him. And because they weren't feasting on him in the Lord's Supper, Sharing in the victory of the gospel, they won't feast with him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Friends, Jesus told the disciples to not go out to the nations immediately, like right away in Luke 24. He told them to wait, didn't he? Verse 49, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Friends, that power came. It came in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were empowered to take the gospel to the nations at great risk and joy to themselves through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead gave life to their mortal bodies and sent them on the same mission that Jesus came for. And if you're a believer, you've been given You've been clothed with this power from on high. You are indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit himself to obey everything that Jesus commanded. 
and to live your life on mission. First in Cook County, then Illinois, and then all the ends of the earth. Either you send or you go, but otherwise we've been empowered to spread the fame of Jesus all over the face of the earth. What does that have to do with us specifically this morning? So I'm, I'm the pastor of Redeeming Grace Chapel, and you all are our planting church. And so we're, we're your daughter church, you're, you're the mother church, I'm your church planter, and you all have generously offered, and our church just voted last week to say, yes, we, we would love for Embassy Church to replant us. That would be such a joy. And we want to do things biblically. We don't want to do things inventively. We don't want to consult the, the latest business schemes of how we can, uh, how Embassy can have another franchise in, in Kankakee. That's the last thing we want. Instead, we want to obey the Bible. How does the Bible do church planning? Well, in the early church, what they did was they entrusted the gospel to people from within their church and raised up leaders and raised up people who loved Jesus and then sent them out. It was never about growing one church bigger, but it was about planting a number of different churches. And this isn't something that I'm going to invite you to possibly think about relocating down to Kankakee. I'm not doing that just because Phil's out of town. Um, That's not how I'm going to get away with it. This is the invitation of your elders. This is the encouragement of your elders who aren't jealous to build their one kingdom in this church bigger or to push the brand of embassy bigger, but out of love and fear for the risen Christ and to see him named among peoples who do not yet know him, they want to use me to encourage you, think and pray about moving from Northern Illinois, from Embassy Church, down to Redeeming Grace Chapel. We need healthy, gospel-centered people who want to make disciples. We're being replanted. We need you to come down. At, this will cost you. It will cost you, but it will be for your joy, just like it was for their joy, to come and relocate down with us and break bread with us. We want you to share meals with us. We want you to share meals with lost people in Kankakee County. Bourbonnet, Bradley, Kankakee. We want you to break bread with us in the local body as we celebrate communion. We want you to be a part of our family. There are lost people in our town that that need to hear about Jesus. There are younger people in our church that need, especially older people, to disciple them. We need older men to disciple our young men. We need older women to disciple our younger women. And my wife keeps reminding me she's not the old woman in the church. She's older than most, but she's not an old woman. I always get in trouble when I refer to her as older, and she's staring daggers at me right now. We, we need legitimately people who have been around the block. We need mothers. We need grandmothers. We need uh, fathers. We need grandfathers to come and make Jesus famous for the sake of our joy. So I would encourage you, pray about this. Talk to your elders about this. We would love to have you at Redeeming Grace Chapel. We would love to partner with you further in this. We think it'd be biblical. If Jesus sent the disciples to all the ends of the earth, maybe he's sending you to Kankakee County for the sake of his name and for the sake of your joy. Why do I keep bringing up joy? Is that just um, a pet topic of mine? No, I don't think so. Luke's gospel began with people rejoicing in God's temple. Did you see how Luke's gospel ends? Verse 52. And they worshiped him 
and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. With great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. Friends, we want joyful disciple makers. We, we want you to come and make joyful disciple making disciples. We want to be a church plant of Embassy Church that we in turn will go and make joyful church plants ourselves. They're centered in the gospel, that, that preach the word, that disciple one another, that are committed to biblical theology and plurality of elders. And we want to see the nations reached by sending laborers into the mission field. Friends, for the sake of your joy and for the glory of the risen, resurrected Christ who's coming again, would you consider coming and making disciples in Kankakee? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your Son. And we thank you for this good news of Jesus who didn't stay far off from the people. that He came to rescue and save and clean. But he lived among them. He lived life with them. And even when they deserted him, his first word to them after he resurrected was peace to you. Father, we thank you for resolving the hostility that, was be, that you had towards us by nailing it to the cross of your son so that we have peace and joy everlasting. Father, I pray that you would make your name great at Embassy and at Redeeming Grace. For the sake of our joy and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.